This episode of Make Your Pitch is brought to you by BET. As a business owner, have you ever asked, uh, how is my business ensuring profitability and sustainability? Uh, or does my business drive its growth and agenda through a defined strategy? Maybe also, is there a performance management system in place? If you hesitated to answer any of these questions, you need to take a look at the Business Enabling Toolbox, BET. To find out more about BET, check the show notes of this episode. This is Make Your Pitch. I'm Christopher Knight. And I am Ellen J. Harris. Together, we chat with entrepreneurs with great ideas, looking for investors to back their vision. We want to be sure investors are there as well as to find the next big hit. So let's get started. And a great big hello to everyone to this episode of Make Your Pitch. You know, we have uh, we have always had great people on, experts and startups and all kinds of folks who, who are really, really important in the industries that uh, have many, many verticals, not just one, but many, many verticals. But a lot of people have new things that are going to be disruptive as well. We are happy today to have a very, very special guest to tell us all about what he's got planned and what he is uh, looking for. So investors, I want you to listen up today. I'm Christopher Knight. And I'm happy to be with you, Ellen J. Harris. And Ellen, I think uh, you need to introduce our guest today so we can rock and roll, as they say. Okay, well, let's get underway. It is my pleasure to introduce Apo Agbamu. He is the founder and CEO of Arvo Technologies, founded in 2018. And he has a dynamic system that is important for the market to be aware of because Many of you might be using his technology and not know that it's him. So I will let him def def define it for you. Welcome, Apo. Take it away. All right. Well, first off, you know, Christopher and Alan, thank you for having me to the show. Appreciate the, the hospitality. You guys have been great. Um, you know, a little bit about myself to just get started. You know, I was born in New York. Uh, early 90s, uh, my family relocated to Minnesota uh, when I was about five years old um, and was raised in the Twin Cities for a majority of my life. So was raised in a suburb of St. Paul, Oakdale, Minnesota. Um, and, you know, growing up, I was always, always fascinated with financial markets. So my dad was in finance. So I naturally, you know, tended to, you know, follow that way as well. So started reading books like Security Analysis, Common Stocks, Uncommon Profits, Intelligent Investor, you know, around 13, 14 and starting investing around that age as well. So, you know, going into high school and throughout high school, um, you know, I was always kind of that person that people would ask those type of economic questions to. Um, and that essentially, you know, kind of forged my path uh, forward into, into college. So end up going into the university. To the University of Minnesota Duluth, a degree from University of Minnesota, um, and double majoring in accounting and economics, um, and then majored in financial markets. So UMD has a 
financial markets program. It's a student-run hedge fund, roughly about 20 students. Um, I was one of three student directors of that program, um, managed the healthcare sector. So again, you know, kind of was always following that passion. Um, and then ultimately ended up working at Bank of America's private bank, which is US Bank um, in Minneapolis for about two years. Um, and, you know, pretty quickly there, I was kind of thrust into things. Actually, um, the CFA is a designation that's fairly important in the investment industry. So I started taking it in, in college, got level one in college, and then, you know, knocked out two and three, you know, simultaneously right after that. So, you know, pretty early on in my career, you know, I was given, you know, pretty solid responsibility, um, you know, help co-manage about two billion in assets um, with, you know, my mentor, one of my mentors, you know, Mike Wright, um, you know, who's the lead portfolio manager there. Um, so I was at Bank of America for two years after college. And then, you know, when I left Bank of America, um, I had already been building my first company. Um, which is the Arvo Investing app. So what that app does is it uses multi-factor ranking systems, which is a fancy way for saying we look at data that's correlated with future performance. Um, and then we also use an AI overlay there to you know help rank assets. So over 10,000 stocks and ETFs in total. So that's initially why you know I left Bank of America. Um, but since that time, um, and I left Bank of America, so I've been doing this full time since 2018 graduated college in 15 um, and started working at Bank of America in March of 16. So I was there for basically about two years before I jumped ship. Um, but since that time I've been working, you know, and, you know, as an entrepreneur full time, um, Arvo app is still going. That's doing great. But my primary focus at the present moment, um, you know, is the application Arvo Comply. Um, and essentially what our focus on there is it's about streamlining the entire uh onboarding process and client lifecycle in a compliant way. So, you know, our platform is, you know, very much a platform, you know, a lot of times you've got, you know, features that, you know, end up being just, you know, part of a platform, but Arvo complies fully integrated. We handle identity management, document management, transaction management, and data management. So in the data management or in the identity management component of things, um, you know, we're handling know your customer, know your business, anti-money laundering. Um, so we've got, you know, on the KYC component, we're doing, you know, the facial recognition with the biometrics, comparing it to a face and an ID, you know, getting a match, doing liveness testing, right, to make sure that, you know, you're not being smooth, the person's smiling, laughing, turning their head. Um, and then we're also extracting the information from the ID and running it, you know, across, you know, our thousand plus databases. And those are in-house databases. So that's also one thing that's unique about the business is that we really have built all of the core systems of our platform. So it gives the business strong operating leverage. Um, so then KYB. Yeah, go ahead. yeah, I'd like to interrupt you here for a second to no ask you about AML. I had a client who uh, was really big into AML and I learned a lot about how uh, systems can be cracked and breached my question to you in your capacity with your technology how have you addressed that um, vulnerability in the technology so in terms of aml you know arvo complies aml database covers international watch list domestic watch list 
politically exposed persons, criminal background checks, sex offenders, um, you know, uh, you know, legal professionals, financial professionals, nonprofit businesses, money services businesses. So our database is fairly vast in terms of what we cover. So we cover all of the main watch lists and sanction lists in totality and then cover a bunch of micro ones at a state and a kind of providence level if you're thinking overseas um, that enables us to have a fairly vast database there. But I would say the one thing that's unique about our database um, is that we also have a active cybersecurity overlay to our compliance approach. Um, you know, where we're looking and we're actually in real time tracking a lot of different malware feeds and using that information to help us better understand our users um, and also the people that are being onboarded onto our platform. For example, um, if you had, you know, a region of the world where you've got a lot of clusters of <laughs> malware, right, and you've got users that are signing up for there, so you have 10 users that sign up from that region, that would trigger some type of alert or, you know, again, I'm kind of, you know, um, simplifying things here, but that would trigger some type of uh, increased and in heightened reaction from the system because it knows that this region is associated with malicious activity, if you will. So that's just one way, um, you know, that our AML database is kind of helping prevent things from a cybersecurity risk stance perspective, but the platform overall was built to avoid kind of the you know common mistakes that are inherent in systems of today for instance we don't use passwords anywhere in the system right so everything is completely passwordless either using your biometrics or a different type of multi-factor authentication um, because 80 percent of data breaches are caused by compromised passwords so how do you reduce that surface area that risk you eliminate passwords altogether interesting Okay. Now, that's something that I have heard a lot about in the industry. Uh, passwords are going away. I think that's a good thing because it hinders, I think, a lot of your ability to access the data that you really need to have in order to do your job. So my question to you is, I would imagine that you know how this is structured. Uh, passwordless, no password access. Okay where are the restrictions okay if i'm in your environment and there's no need for me to see payroll data how are you blocking me out of that area of your business gotcha. without so a the, password yeah, so the main components of arvo comply are identity document transaction and data management so as i mentioned the identity management is the kyc kyb and aml and then the document management component is a PDF editor, document OCR, which is just optical character recognition or optical character recognition, excuse me. I mean, that's used to extract information from PDFs. Um, and then we've got e-signature and file sharing. So all of those things in conjunction, because if you think about an onboarding cycle, you're going to have to first verify who the person is. And then after you verify the per who the person is, then you've got to usually exchange some type of documents with them. So our document management hub enables people to not only edit PDFs, but extract data from PDFs, send those to different databases or fetch those via our APIs, and then also handle full e-signature, and then um, also file sharing for internal and external users. And then the last component is a transaction management, which is used for both fiat and crypto assets. 
right? Okay. So, yep. <laughs> Over 95% of the cryptocurrency market. Um, and then we also track all traditional assets. So mutual funds, ETFs, equities, loans, preferreds, corporates, treasuries, mortgage-backed securities. And all of this um, enables our users to be able to handle everything on our platform. So not only can you onboard your users, you manage all the document management with them. And our system automatically has, it forms audit trails at each point in the client lifecycle. And then we also reconcile the information automatically under a user's profile. So in that transaction management component, not only do we handle traditional assets and crypto assets, but we also do suspicious activity reporting, which is a huge part of being AML compliant, right? Making yes. sure that you're filing your suspicious activity reports with FinCEN, um, you know, within 30 days, usually on average, our system automates that. And then we've also got this last layer, which is about the travel rule, right? So that's a big part, especially, it's already been a part of traditional finance, right? With the Bank and Secrecy Act. Um, and then, you know, more, you know, in more present times with, you know, the financial, um, you know, uh, action task force and everything that they're doing there with the travel rule and, you know, Reg 16, um, you know, our platform also enables virtual asset service providers or traditional asset or uh, traditional financial institutions to share information in a compliant way. Right. So that last component. So if you guys remember, it's identity management, right? KYC, KYB, AML, document management, file sharing, e-signature, um, PDF editor, excuse me, and document OCR. And then transaction management, which is traditional and crypto assets, suspicious activity reporting and travel rule. All of that stuff has the last pillar. Um, which is uh, a data management component that saves everything on the blockchain, our consortium network blockchain, you know, in a, in a, you know, automated manner as these processes are going on. Okay. So now here's the big question because Christopher and I, um, we do other podcasts and crypto is a focus for us. Now, my question is um, recently, uh, I'd say within the last week and a few days, um, crypto security has risen on the radar and it appears, and I watch the banks because, you know, banks kind of give me a heads up <laughs> which way we're going. So um, it seems that there is some, there's, there's breaches, if you will, in terms of how uh, crypto securities are managed and banks are seem to be really concerned about uh access and that kind of thing i would like you to if you can without giving away anything proprietary talk about the security pieces that are around crypto because it's 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 still unregulated and yeah. have I've not had anything set in that says this is how we're going to do crypto so talk to me about that no, that's a great point. And, you know, that's kind of why, you know, we've kind of been fairly patient, you know, because, you know, again, our whole network um, is powered by the Arvo coin, but we've been, you know, our network's been on Ethereum mainnet since 2018. So we've had plenty of opportunities to go public with our coin, but we wanted to be patient because we wanted to get a lot of the development done uh, ahead of time um, before we launch. And also we're looking for some of that clarity as well, right? So, you know, especially here in the U.S., that's why you're seeing a lot of 
companies that are in this space set up offshore because in the US, you know, regulators, for lack of a better term, have been slow, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, to get some of this stuff, um, you know, addressed in terms of, of regulation. And that's the interesting thing because it's it's been kind of a paradox in the crypto space because the whole space was built on the tenets of decentralization, you know, yes. distribution and things of that nature. But the main way that people access the currency is through centralized means, right? So you've got a lot of these providers, whether it's exchanges, digital banks, whatever it may be, that are centralized entities that are managed by, you know, people like me or, you know, people, you know, that are in this space. Um, and that's really where you see the hacks, right? Um, so on a centralized side. And then on the decentralized side, you're seeing a lot of the hacks. They, they're called the rug pulls, um, you know, because it's almost like you wake up today and tomorrow, the you know, you're looking at all the zeros across the board, right? But right. You know, on the DeFi side, the where those type of breaches have happened is actually at a code level. And it's usually because, you know, contracts that are, you know, unaudited or claim they're audited have some type of backdoor that enables someone who knows about that backdoor or finds that backdoor to exploit that. So, you know, that's kind of the early age of any technology. If you really think about the space, you know, it started in 2008, we're in 2021. So it's really only 13 years old. So it's still fairly in its infancy. So you've got kind of these um, you know, these issues that need to get worked out. But, you know, ultimately, I'm not sure how much some of that stuff can be mitigated because a lot of it's due to human error, right? Yes, uh, you yes. Know, so from a hack standpoint, <laughs> you know, I think that that's something um, that kind of remains prevalent in the space, no matter how it's regulated. Um, <laughs> but from a regulation standpoint, I think what regulation would do um, and it's interesting because you got this Ripple versus the SEC case that's kind of got the whole crypto space, um, you know, watching because that's going to be able to set precedent for how, you know, things are interpreted going forward. It'll be interesting on that um, because once that precedent is set, a lot of companies in the space, you know, will be able to offer things, you know, in a, a little bit more clearer way. So even if Congress... Um, you know, happens to be a little bit slow, you know, the courts can help set precedent, um, you know, with how things are done in the space. So from a hacking standpoint, I think, you know, ultimately, I think that's something that over time will improve. Um, you know, uh, that's one thing that I never bet against is, you know, human ingenuity um, and what that can produce. So I think that's something that gets figured out over time. But, you know, I think that ultimately, again, I don't think regulation is, you know, the answer, but the space is still, you know, very much in a, in a way where there's a lot of nefarious characters who have the, you know, ability to, you know, do things that wouldn't be, you know, tolerated in, you know, regular structured markets. You know, one thing I like to say is that, you know, crypto markets are very asymmetric in terms of information, right? There's people that always know more than you, right? Um, yes. In regulated markets, we call that insider trading. Um, That's you know, right markets, you know, it's, it's more of a, you know, standard practice. So, you know, that's some of the stuff that I hope over time, you know, gets ironed out. Um, but, you know, again, it's just like, you know, if you want to look at the crypto markets as, you know, a child, it's still, you know, fairly in its infancy. 
<laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead, Christopher. Yeah, that's, I that's think it. you and I are on the same page with the question yeah, you want to ask. Uh, no, that's uh, that's uh, absolutely amazing uh, uh, because of your uh, depth of understanding. Now, let's get back to uh, your your uh, your business itself for a moment. Yes. And uh, I really enjoyed your overview in the crypto because it uh, it's things that we're talking about all the time. Now, as as you develop out, and you've already developed out, and as you uh, promote your program around, what level of company would actually be able to afford what you're offering? Absolutely. So that's one thing that we pride ourselves on is not only do we have the most holistic solution on the market. Um, for instance, like if you look at our product, you would actually need to go to seven or eight different providers to be able to offer what we offer in just one solution. Um, but one kind of thing that makes us unique is that everything we've done built in house or created in house. So we don't have much operating costs when it comes to our technology. So we're able to pass those cost savings on to our customers um, and enable them, you know, to not only be compliant, but do it, um, at a price range that is, you know, what I would say, you know, at least a standard standard deviation lower, um, you know, than our competitors. Um, and the most important thing is that, and that's the explicit cost, right? How much people are actually paying for it. But there's a lot of implicit costs that they end up saving because they don't need that extra head or they don't need that person that manually enters information or they don't need that person that does one thing that we automate in our process um, at a manual you know, component. So there's implicit and impl explicit costs um, you know, that we're able to pass on to our customers, not only in terms of improves, improved operations um, and removing a lot of cumbersome and you know, error-prone processes tied to you know, um, not only onboarding, but the client lifecycle, but we can for sure offer our product, um, you know, at 20 to 30 percent less than the competitors because everything is in-house. You know, from a business structure standpoint, you know, we have that um, operating leverage, if you will, um, you know, that enables us, you know, to to run things at a fairly lean, um, you know, lean way. As I mentioned, we've been in development for about we've been in development since the middle of 2018. Um, so you know, this platform has been essentially crafted, if you will, um, you know, to, um, to be able to not only address the market need, um, but do it at a price point that's below, you know, our competitors. You know, when I started in this space, I first got into blockchain in 14, uh, 2014, a buddy of mine told me about it in college, right? I think Bitcoin was trading. I don't even remember the exact price. So I won't quote it them, but I know it was in the hundreds, low hundreds at the time. If you look at the evolution just from 2014 till now, um, you know, we're we're really in, um, you know, uh, an amazing time in terms of, you know, where we're going to be going over the next couple of years. So I know that was a long winded answer, but essentially, you know, we'll be able to offer it, um, you know, to our competitors at a lower price point just because well, now, that, that, of our systems in house. What is, what is your target audience as far as the, uh, uh, if, 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 do I have to be uh, uh, half million dollar, million dollar, 
ten million dollar company in order to actually want to use your service. So, what's your target audience? Let's pause for a moment so we can hear from our sponsor for this episode. I have just set up our customer relation management system using CRM Engine, not just for its many options, but because its price is well below that of the big boys. The CRM Engine team set up all that we needed to keep track of our contacts, including those who are scheduled to pitch, our investors, and strategic partners. We now know when we met, what was said, when to follow up, and includes an auto email system to stay in touch timely. It keeps us focused on what makes Make Your Pitch what it is, the people. So to learn how to keep your business in touch with your clients using CRM Engine, go to the show notes of this episode. Yeah, I, our target audience, you know, at the initial moment is SMEs. Um, well, there's really two themes that are going on in the crypto space right now, right? You've got the new incumbents or the new participants who are crypto-based who are coming into the space, and a lot of them have been operating under non-compliance for quite some time, right? That's one target market for us because when they plug in a solution like ours, they're removing about seven, eight providers. So they don't have to worry about how these seven, eight people manage their data. They know that Arvo Technologies is, for instance, ISO 27001 compliant following GDPR, following CCPA, things of that nature, right? PCI DSS and all of these different things that en enable them to, you know, have a certain level of confidence in the integrity and the way their data is treated. Um, so SMEs are one of our core target market. And then you've got the second trend, which is established institutions that are in the space. Um, and these established institutions are looking to get into the crypto markets or the um, virtual uh, become virtual asset service providers, if you will. So you've got these guys who, again, they may have their systems that they use for their compliance, but they're coming into a space that not only is new to them, um, but that they're looking for something where that is going to enable them to handle everything holistically. Yes. Right. And yes. be able to not only handle the identity management, document management, transaction management, and then the data management part at the back end, because again, a lot of these people have to hold the data from anywhere from two to seven years, depending on what type of you know financial institution you are. So when you've got something that's rolled up like that, you can we have uh, you know, initiatives that cater to both, right? Like we've got a crypto quick start program that's tailored specifically to cryptocurrency institutions. And then we've got, you know, traditional compliance in a box that enables, you know, larger financial institutions to have a, you know, a solution that they can just plug into, um, you know, because a lot of these guys are going to form a subsidiary and the subsidiary is essentially a new company that's starting from the ground and it's going to have its own way of doing business. So when you have a solution that you can plug in, and handle all of those different components, um, you know, the onboarding process, but also the client management lifecycle. You know, um, you know, those are kind of our two, the two themes, if you will, that we're catering to. Um, is the traditional institutions coming into the space, and then those that have been in the space operating in a, you know, less than compliant manner, but now, you know, are, you know, are hearing the the drums, the footsteps of Uncle Sam and other regulators you know, and realize that they need to start playing ball the right way. Yeah, indeed. Now, given the structure of your organization, okay, you clearly 
have embraced this industry. My question to you is, where do you see, uh, where do you see Arvo growing to in the next three to five? Uh, within the next three to five years, I see Arvo having anywhere, you know, between five and 10% uh, or about three to 5% of the market share in the space. Um, you know, I think our offering is, well, one, it's very unique in the space. No one in the market offers identity management, document management, transaction management, and then a backend persistence layer driven by blockchain. Um, but not only that, Again, our solution is patented. So obviously once that patent gets approved, we believe that'll give us a long-term moat. But our focus is always on the end user, right? And really generating and understanding what compliance departments need and then creating a solution that enables them to handle those needs in an automated way where there's audit trails and things are fair and the, the user interface is simplified. Um, so, you know, all things being equal, you know, I see this is a very large market opportunity. I mean, if you look at the market yes. right now, it's a, about a 35 to $40 billion market. And if you look at what it's expected to grow to, it's expected to grow to a 90, $100 billion market over the next three to five years. So we're definitely well positioned to capitalize on that growth. You know, a company is only going to grow as fast as the industry it's in, right? You don't see many startups popping out of, you know, the coal industry and things of that nature, right? Yes. So we're very well positioned, um, you know, to capitalize on these secular trends. Um, and, you know, not only that, we've got the vertical integration across the core components of that backend that compliance offices need, where once, um, you know, our value proposition is well communicated to the market, and companies realize how easy it is to plug into what we're doing um, and that we're handling their data the right way, right? So, you know, right off the bat, ISO compliant, GDPR compliant. These are the things that matter to companies because it's a paradox, right? Regulators yes. are asking companies to start collecting more and more sensitive information to combat money laundering. And then it creates more vulnerabilities because the hackers know who to attack when they need the information. Right. Okay, here's the question. Here's the question. How valuable are you? I would imagine, based on your skill set and your in depth of knowledge, that um, I'm guessing people are calling you left and right, knocking on your door, trying right. to figure out how can they uh, take advantage of your and, service. And are you are you pre Absolutely. or post? Right I mean, we're, in, we're in the process of fundraising at the moment. Um, you know, we've bootstrapped completely to date um, because, uh, you know, we were as when we first started raising, um, you know, a lot of investors wanted us to, for instance, focus on only the, you know, the identity management component of things or, you know, the document management component of things or the transaction management component of things. Um, but, you know, that, from a vision standpoint, that wouldn't separate us from anything else that's on the market. Right. There's a lot of players that kind of have those one off silo things. The different the thing that separates Arvo comply from the other market participants is the fact that we cover everything a company needs. Right. From start to finish. Okay, in now, a compliant manner. As you say that, though, yep. are, are you ready to roll it out now? Yep. We're already engaging market participants. 
um, you know, and are actively, um, you know, onboarding or working with clients to onboard our solution, not only in the U.S., but uh, in Asia and Europe. Okay. So that being said, have you, so this is the uh, have you approached you know, anyone uh, on a contract? Excuse me. Have you, have you approached anybody on a contractual basis yet as far as the, uh, the system? Yep. So as I mentioned, you know, we're actively engaging, um, you know, we're actively engaging, uh, you know, end users um, in Europe, Asia, and the U.S. Yep. Okay. All right. Now, okay. How much? How much? All right. How much are you at, what's your ask right now? What uh, What is your ask in order to get this thing, the ball rolling for you? Yeah. So at the moment, we're looking to raise um, about a mil. We're looking to raise a million in capital. Um, as I mentioned, the platform's been bootstrapped since inception. So you know, a lot of what we've got, the platform's very technological rich. We've got multiple patents filed. And in addition to that, you know, everything that I mentioned in terms of the platform is already completed. So this isn't something that's a, you know, a prototype or, um, you know, uh, something that we want to build. It's already been built, fully functional um, and scalable. So, you know, right now what we're looking for is investor capital um, to help us really scale things in terms of marketing sales, um, Primarily, I would say that, you know, about 50% of whatever we raise is going to go directly to that. Um, so from an investor standpoint, there's very little development risk, little to none. Um, because, you know, again, obviously part of our budget is going to be towards maintaining and continuing to improve the platform. But this isn't something that, you know, we're raising to build for. Um, you know, this is something that's already ready to go. Okay. And you have the business plan outlined for an investor to review, right? Absolutely. You know, that's the, that's, you know, that's where I start, you know, the business plan doesn't make sense. You know, you don't really, you know, so that was really one of the first foundational documents from my perspective that I usually like to get done because Arvo or Arvo technologies is just, uh, is one of the startups. So, you know, even with my first startup, that was kind of the fundamental thing is, you know, you actually want to, and being an accounting and economics background anyway, I've got to look at the numbers so, okay, you know, what is the market opportunity size? How much market share do we think we can take? At what price point do we think we're going to sell the product? What are we projecting? And then we've also got, you know, all of the, the valuation models, um, you know, whether it's DCF, um, et cetera, built out, you know, around the valuation of the company. Apple, okay. I'm going to ask right. you a question. Uh, Apple, uh, pardon me, Ellen. Apple, I got to ask you this question. It's not normally something anybody wants to answer, but... Uh, what's your Achilles heel? I mean, where are, the where are your weaknesses that you need to shore up? I would say our weaknesses at the present moment are really around, um, you know, I would say probably marketing uh, and, you know, uh, you know, conveying that in a way where it's a little bit more, I guess you would say, true to form. Right. You know, I'm not a marketing background. I'm, you know, an accounting economics background. You know, we've got four team members on, you know, we've got a chief business development officer, um, you know, head of client uh, services and then also head of sales. But our one component where we're really looking to beef up and improve is marketing. Um, so, you know, I think that's part of what this you know, a key component, you know, of our, um, you know, this capital raises going to help address that 
you know, obviously we're being constructive with what we have. We've got different campaigns that we're launching and things of that nature. But, I, you, know, um, you know, we're looking for, you know, we're looking for someone who's specialized, um, you know, in the marketing realm and can really help, you know, bring what we've built. Um, and obviously we believe that we're telling a good story, but again, it can always be done better. Um, and, you know, that's really kind of the one uh, weak point, if you will, you know, that, um, you know, that we're trying to address here. Okay. Okay. How large is your firm? And what do you value it at? Large and what's your value? Learn large in terms of so we've got four employees um, at the moment, and then we've got a team of about seventeen. We fluctuate between fifteen and twenty freelance developers at any given time. Um, specific, but you know the range that we're we're looking at is anywhere between ten and twenty because as I mentioned, Arbo complies our main product. Um, we've got four products that are ready to go to market by the end of this quarter. So five products in general. So if you look at us from a product stack standpoint, you know, we've actually got the product stack of a series A company, um, you know, because again, you know, we, we've a lot of companies and we've also had the ability, we could have raised earlier, but we're, we're really looking for, you know, a smart capital, you know, that's going to enable us, um, you know, to our Check in time, you know, building, you know, investors that you know see and understand, you know, our vision was, you know, bring that vision because, you know, not definitely from value change, you know, everything obviously, everything's a negotiation. Um, so, you know, um, one thing that we're taking now, how, how okay. is your investment? Uh, hang, hang on here, Ellen. Let me, let me jump in here for a change. All right. Thank you. <laughs> uh, how, how, how are you structuring the investment itself? So it's going to be through, you know, it's going to be fairly standard in the sense that, you know, uh, you know, Investors are buying into a C corporation. They get preferred series, uh, series C preferred a uh, preferred shares um, that can obviously convert into common equity. Um, you know, over different periods of time. Um, so very standard in that approach. Um, you know, in terms of what investors would be getting. Um, but you know, again, I really want to emphasize this: is that you know any investor that would be getting on board if you will, um, you know, is coming on to, you know, uh, a ship that's already ready to sail. Um, you know, there's not much building going on here. It's really something where we're at the point where, um, you know, we're looking to accelerate, you know, tremendously. Um, so, you know, any investor that's coming on board, you know, they don't have that, uh, you know, delay, if you will, in terms of, you know, when we can start, you know, well, okay. <laughs> all right. Uh, Christopher, I've, I've, he has satisfied all my curiosity. <laughs> I, I'm ready to take the next steps. <laughs> I, just, I, just, I just need to put my swim trunks on and dive in anytime. That's it. <laughs> you know, we, we have so many more questions, but this is, we've reached uh, uh, toward the end of uh, this particular podcast. And of course, we haven't even asked half our questions yet. 
But that's all right, because uh, people will know how to reach you, Apo, on a program that I am very excited about personally. And I, you know, we don't, we endorse some, we endorse a lot of the people that are on our show, but you reach the top of the list uh, as far as what you're doing right now and what you're accomplishing, not even trying to accomplish what you're accomplishing. Yes. Is there anything you would like to say before we close this episode of Make Your Pitch, Apo? Well, you know, first off, again, you know, Chris and Ellen, you know, thanks for having me on. You know, it's been a blast. Um, You know, I appreciate the opportunity to get to tell the story about what we're doing at Arvo Technologies, um, you know, and where we believe, you know, our company is really going to add value you know, to go forward basis, you know, I always like to say that, you know, anything you accomplish in life, you know, is really as a result of the benevolence of time. And, you know, we're uh, in a time period where there's a lot of technological change going on. Um, and, you know, we're a company that's passionate about that change, passionate about being at the forefront of that change. Um, and, you know, we're at the point where we're looking for um, investors who, not only want to take that journey with us, um, but are eager to um, help us accelerate, uh, you know, the rate of change at which we're moving, um, you know, and I think that's the core thing that anyone should take away, um, you know, from this podcast is that, you know, Arvo Technology is a company that not only is here to help enable uh, identity management in a holistic and automated way that provides audit trails. But in addition to that, you know, we're here to create, um, you know, a financial system that's more inclusive. um, And again, that enables more people to be able to benefit from the things that, you know, blockchain um, and distributed systems have to offer. Outstanding. Absolutely outstanding. I, you know, I don't know, uh, uh, as uh, the investors watch this, I think you're looking at uh, the next stage of actual uh, progress in identity and everything else around protecting a company. And we have so many risks today that this kind of, uh, kind of is an umbrella uh, to take care of you along the way. Ellen, what do you think? <laughs> I, I <laughs> okay, what do I think? I think um, you're looking at um, a young company just started, but it's well formed and well structured. The foundation is solid. The plan, without even seeing it, listening to Apple, I can tell that it is fully formed and functional. Uh, an investor could take a look at it and visually see where they could be three to five years out from investing today. So I think we have a real winner here. We don't always get winners like this, but uh, Apo, he hit it out of the park. (laughs) So, yeah, so we need to um, do what we do best. And that is provide the support to startups that we know can win and take the marketplace. Yeah. And this is a gentleman who can take the marketplace. Yeah. Absolutely. And that's, that's exactly what we will do to Apo is uh, put our own uh, forces to work to uh, 
uh, get you rolling uh, with the money that you need to actually put this out and make it available to so many deserving companies. Uh, for now, though, uh, this episode of Make Your Pitch is at an end. And as we always say before we close, be specific when you make your pitch. Thank you, my <laughs> dear co-host, Ellen J. Harris. We'll see you all next Thursday on the next episode of Make Your Pitch. If you enjoyed today's episode of Make Your Pitch, go smash the subscription button. And if you want, leave us a five-star review. If you think you have what it takes to be on one of our episodes, contact us by going to the show notes to learn how. But most of all, be with us again next week for another episode of Make Your Pitch.